This episode is brought to you by State Farm. From your morning podcast to your fantasy team, we know you personalize your entire day. That's why State Farm helps you personalize your insurance with State Farm Personal Price Plan. It offers coverage options that help protect what you care about most at an affordable price just for you. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices may vary by state. Options selected by customer availability and eligibility may vary. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. If you're busy like me and you're trying to catch your kids' games, it's important to have somewhere where you can go to find a good hotel. We're all over the place. Sometimes, you know, we're in Florida, we'll be in New York. We want to take the wife on a quick vacation and get away. Whether you're looking for a relaxing getaway or heading out of town to see the playoffs, Hotels.com app has a perfect hotel for every trip. Compare up to five hotels side by side so you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings without having to switch back and forth between options. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. What's up, everybody? I'm JJ John Stramski. And I'm Jason Goff. And if you haven't heard, The Ringer has gone local. I'm bringing the fire. I'm bringing the rain from the Big Apple with my show, New York, New York. And I'm repping Chi-Town with my new show, The Full Go on all things Chicago. We've got episodes three nights a week with all the reaction to the local teams and guests. Plus bonus episodes around all the big games and storylines. So whether you're uptown, downtown, in the burbs, or a transplant. Make sure you follow New York, New York, and The Full Go on Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. Hello and welcome. It is the Friday edition of the Ringer NFL Show. As always, previewing you through the upcoming week of NFL action. We have two games on one day as it is NFL Championship Sunday. Hoping to uh, continue on with what was just truly a, a tremendous performance last weekend. I am Ben Solak, joined as always by the inimitable Stephen Ruiz and Kalen Jones. Fellas, we are entering now the penultimate round of the NFL playoffs, the championship rounds, and all I have to ask you is the best play of the week, Byron Leftwich knocking Trent Balky out of Jacksonville, regardless. That was better than anything Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes did on Sunday. Yeah. Right. I agree. I have so much respect for after so many just like regular football people were like, hey, Trent Balky shouldn't be the GM. Leftwich got to the finish line of the job and said, oh, and by the way, one more thing. I don't want to work with him. I think the fact that nobody wanted to work with him helped. Like, what were the Jaguars going to do? Jacksonville, I would have been your head coach, and I would have worked with Trent Paulke. <laughs> right, right. Seems like I would have taken it on. So we've got Leftwich and Jacksonville kind of staring down the barrel with one another. Jacksonville's interviewing Vic Fangio also, apparently. Uh, Byron's interviewing with the Saints, right? Just kind of like, oh, maybe I'll go somewhere else. Uh, we have Matt Everflus officially in Chicago. We have Nate Hackett officially in Denver. Kalen, your biggest takeaway from head coaching carousel thus far? Wow, that's a good question. I mean, I think Denver, I don't understand the Hackett hire. Um, we'll see if Denver's like trying to convince Aaron Rodgers mm-hmm. to come through. Um, I was really shocked about Sean Payton. Like, I shouldn't be, but all I got to say is respect to him for getting out after com- like doing every bit of damage that he yeah. could, trolling everybody to the umpteenth level, and then deciding, nah, I'm done here. And I'm going to take a year off and go somewhere else. I fully agree. Like, I think there's a world in which it's like, oh, whatever. You should with the team, everything. No, absolutely not. I love the idea of just going all in, looking at what happened and going, wow, that feels like somebody else's mess. Yep. <laughs> that That is a level of just, just irresponsibility to which I aspire. If anything, he should have done it a year earlier. That would have been even funnier. No, I think, it's, I think, I think it was good to do it now because you go and you're like we're gonna do this we're gonna fix this like here we go and then you experience what it feels like for a year and you're like ah you know i, I oh i you know i get getting a little old and i'm just maybe 
Nah, maybe we won't. <laughs> uh, Saints' job is a weird one. Uh, you, yeah. I would take it in a heartbeat because the roster is good, but also not being able to sign anybody for the next two years kind of sounds like it sucks. So a tough one to figure out. We're looking uh, forward now, however. We got coaching positions still open. Those will be open for the upcoming weeks. We have several coordinators in these upcoming games. They might take one of those positions, but we got to see who continues and who goes home. Uh, Chiefs-Bengals rematch from a Week 17 game. And then Niners-Rams rematch of both a Week 18 and a Week 10 game. So it is a rematch-heavy conference championship round. It is a narrative-heavy conference championship round. I want to start with the Chiefs and the Bengals. We are going to do, as always, our Game of the Week style. But we're going to be able to get a little bit deeper into both games just because we only have two games to talk about. Namely, Kayla, my first question is this. If you are the Bengals defense, like just the coaching staff and the guys in the room and the players— Having seen what you just saw with with Patrick Mahomes last week against the Bills, what do you do emotionally? Like, what? Like, how do you feel? Like, what? In all seriousness, like having seen that sort of a game, you go to prepare. Like, like Mahomes had no deep attempts; he was throwing all underneath. The Chiefs were running it, you know, yards after the catch. They were running the football with success. Like this, that that felt like Mahomes 2.0. That felt like Mahomes' final form. If you're the Bengals, like, what do you th- what do you think? Where do you start when you think about all right? We're going to game plan against the Chiefs. I think it really comes down to capitalizing on the few mistakes that Mahomes could potentially have. I feel like, you know, watching that game back, or I guess the Bills game that you're referencing, the divisional round, like there's no stopping a cyborg, right? Like (laughs) the Bills found out, unfortunately, that even leaving 13 seconds left on the clock is a little bit too much for Patrick Mahomes and Kansas City's offense. But when you look back at that first matchup between Cincinnati and Kansas City, you know, I I was trying to figure out like how Kansas City really lost this. Because when you look at the statistics, they were really good on third down, 6 for 11 on third down. Um, Mahomes had no turnovers, and I think he's 20 and 3 in his career when he doesn't turn the football over, which is insane. They didn't relinquish any sacks. But when you're watching the game back, there were a few passes that should have been intercepted by the Bengals' defense. And the big thing for Kansas City was that they shot themselves in the foot, and that was by committing a ton of penalties. And so they only scored three points in the second half. I don't think that is going to happen, you know, in the divisional round in a rematch. <laughs> right. So, I mean, all you can do if, if, you're def- if you're Cincinnati is pray that you capitalize on the few mistakes that Patrick Mahomes potentially commits because it's not like that he was, you know, ripping them deep. He scored a few. They definitely hit on a few deep passes, but you look at that passing chart, it's all underneath, all within 10 to 8 yards, and he was destroying two high coverages. So, yeah, I don't know if there's an answer. It's so funny that, like, defense is all about getting the offense into adverse situations where they only can do one thing and that allows you to do things that take advantage of it. And I would consider 13 seconds and 40 yards to go an adverse situation and it didn't matter. So if you can't stop him then, what situation can you get in where you stop him? That's the thing to me like that, that like mental aspect of it that I was alluding to when I asked Kalen the question is like, you're you're the Bengals. You're you're down by two, right? So like a field goal gives you the lead or a touchdown gives you the lead. You're driving with two minutes left. What do you, what do you what is the plan? Like how you you have to score, but also like any amount of time you leave, any amount of time you leave is too much. Like how you have to you it, it's like when they beat the Chiefs in Week 17. You yep, literally almost. have to have the last play. Like yep. that's that is the only 
guaranteed win, which like obviously it is. That's true for everybody, but it also isn't. Like when the other sideline has some other like B tier or even A tier quarterback, you're like, all right, we give it to them. Like, you know, we kick it with like 16 seconds, whatever. We're chilling. Last week proved that wrong. You have to have the last play. That's so much stress on your two minute offense. I do want to bring up, because Kalen uh, mentioned the penalties, the penalty differential in this game was huge. Yeah. Uh, there's an account called Accountable Refs uh, on Twitter, which they tweeted out a total impact of penalties on win probability percentage graphic. And they did it this week. And it shows that the greatest impact of penalties on win probability like during the game was this Chiefs-Bengals game. And that that's not just because of the, the penalty disparity. It's also when the penalties happened for... Uh, Kansas City, right? Uh, and, and for Cincinnati, Kansas City had multiple third down conversions erased by penalty in the second half. Obviously, as well, they had the fourth and one stop uh, on fourth and goal where they would have tied. The game would have stayed tied. They would have had the ball with like 55 seconds left, maybe put a, a drive together. But at the very least, go to overtime. They had a penalty there uh, that ended up uh, uh, giving the Bengals more downs. They were able to run out the clock. So a lot of penalties, but also penalties in very high leverage situations. So it was a 60% win probability, which is enormous swing towards the Bengals. The next closest is like a Washington Eagles game where it was like a 30% win swing. So if you take the exact same game, X's and O's, you know, whatever, Jamar Chase goes nuts, like all of it, and you just assume penalties regress because penalties are largely like noise. Some refereeing crews throw less than others. I know the, the upcoming refereeing crews kind of not that many penalties for this upcoming game. You just take penalties and just like put it back at like 50%. Chiefs are winning, right? So, like, that's the funny thing. is like the Bengals won this game, but it feels like they're the ones who need to do work in order to adjust to last game's game plan and, and do better. And I think two things matter in this in that regard. One, the game is in Kansas City, and I think refs are more likely to throw flags in the favor of the home team, especially pass interference calls and defensive holding calls. Two, it's the playoffs. They tend to look the other way on holding calls. Like, you're allowed to be more aggressive. The cornerbacks are in those games and one thing i noticed when i was watching it back and i didn't really notice this the first on the first watch was that the holding calls came after a couple of plays where burrow kind of threw it up to chase and he pushed off and he caught it and you could see the chiefs defenders complaining about the push-offs and then they started holding after that and that's when they started getting flagged for it the Bengals ended up getting 4.4 epa on holding or pi calls alone so I think that's going to be a big deal. Like how the refs call the holding calls. Are they going to allow Jamar Chase to push off and be physical? Are they going to allow Casey's secondary to fight back? If they don't, then we might see a repeat of what happened yeah. last time. But if they do, it's a whole different ballgame. That's critical is that Jamar Chase commits offensive pass interference better than anybody else in the league right now, which I love for him. Offensive pass interference, my favorite penalty, my favorite play. Uh, and then the Chiefs want to press, right? Because if you're going to go empty, they want to run cover zero and they want to go up and they want to press. And they want to be physical to the catch point. Like that's how they've built their corner room. And so if you're going to, you know, give receivers a lot of leeway and not give it to corners, the Bengals are very happy to just throw that nine ball, throw that nine ball, right? Throw that outside vertical ball and just see how many flags they can draw. They're fine moving the ball that way. And they've done it with success. Steven, with you, uh, you're on the other side of the ball. And I want to ask you like a similar question to the one I asked Kalen. We're like, all right, if you're the Chiefs, you know, uh, you watch this Chiefs offense, you're the Bengals defense. How are you preparing for this? Similar thing for the Bengals. You just gave up nine sacks. What? And this is an important question because all year we've talked about this Bengals offensive line being bad and all year it's just stayed bad and they haven't made a lot of adjustments and it like hasn't mattered. They've been fine with it. But you just gave up nine sacks. You're looking at Chris Jones, the other sideline. 
what do you do? Like, it, it, what what is a solution here? What is the approach here? Because Burrow was only sacked a couple times in that Chiefs game. He was unbelievable when the Chiefs only sent four rushers. He was 24 for 30, 354 yards, 11.8 yards per attempt, four touchdowns, no interceptions when they sent four rushers. So are you just saying we're going to live in this, or are you trying to do something to prevent these hits from accruing on Burrow throughout the postseason? I think you have to do something, and I think the something you have to do is keep backs and tight ends into protection. I think the problem, and we put a lot of it on the offensive line, but it's not just an offensive line talent problem. It's a scheme problem. It's a Joe Burrow is a second-year quarterback and maybe can't handle all of that pressure before the snap, especially if he's living in five-man protections. And you saw it in the Chiefs game. You saw it in the Titans game. It wasn't just that those interior linemen were getting beaten by the, the men they're blocking. There were free rushers at times, and that's a protection issue. That is not a talent issue. So it's a problem all around. It's a problem because of Zach Taylor. It's a problem because Joe Burrow tends to hold onto the ball a lot. And I don't know if he really knows what he's going to get from uh, Steve Spagnuolo defense. He had trouble with the Titans defense, which is kind of similar in, in, in that they disguise a lot and will send some creative pressures at mm -hmm. you. I don't know. I think the only way to solve it is just keep people in. Just block it up. Have enough numbers to, to block their pass rush. They didn't do that in the first game. They, they tried to play empty, and it just didn't work. There was nine dropbacks of empty. The first two plays of the game were in empty, and they yeah. only had two successful plays by EPA, two positive EPA plays on that. I don't think it's something you can live in, and if they try to do it and they expect just to live on deep ball magic again, I think that's going to be a problem. I think you have to recognize that what they did, like as good as Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow are at throwing those routes, there's no way – I mean, I'm not going to say there's no way, but it's unlikely that they're able to go four for five on go routes and get 152 yards and two touchdowns again. You can't rely on that. You can't build an offense around that. Okay, it is, but that's what they've been relying yeah, on. That's what that's they've been the, building the offense yeah. out of. It, there they are. They don't get that every game, though. They right. don't get him going into God mode every game. If you're relying on that, you're not a good coach. Uh, right, so I agree. And that's the thing is, to me, there's like there's two separate conversations here. There is like, is what Zach Taylor's been doing all year great no are the Bengals here in the AFC championship game and what do they do against the Chiefs in this like small vacuum of trying to win this game and get to the Super Bowl probably gonna throw a lot of go yeah. balls that's the thing it's about the matchup because again if I'm seeing Rashad Fenton up against Jamar Chase one-on-one -on -one, I don't blame Joe Burrow one bit and I don't care like that's the other thing like I have confidence that you don't need to send somebody or keep somebody extra in, in protection because Burrow for whatever like hit his reaction time and his ability to process within like, you know, a split second, find the, the right player to go to outside the numbers is elite. Like he's very good at processing. But I, I see, I feel like we, we have this rush to crown Burrow and I've been, I've been labeled as an anti-Burrow <laughs> guy, but the, he has one of the right. worst pressure to sack ratios in the NFL. Yeah, he does. They give up free rushers and he's in charge of the protections. And a lot of the times it's, it's bad protection calls. Like, we need to put more of this on Burrow because he is making their job hard. It's a bad offensive line that is is made worse by the coaching staff and made worse by a quarterback who – and I don't. And honestly, I think it's a, a trade-off that Burrow should make. Like, he's exactly. good at extending those plays. So you take the, the good with the bad. That's the thing. This is kind of like the Russell Wilson conversation, exactly. right? Like, he takes a lot of sacks, but he hits a lot of moonshots. And – I mean, Burrow has the core, like the receiving core to be one of those quarterbacks that takes a lot of sacks and 
like nine sacks in the game and still wins a football game. Yeah, but my thing is like, why isn't the coaching staff protecting them from himself? I think that's the problem. Aha. It's like the Andrew. <laughs> it's also like the right. Andrew Luck discussion. Like I interviewed Andrew Luck in 2016, and I asked him like, "Wow, sick interview, Andrew Luck, brag." All right, relax. <laughs> and I asked him like, "How do you weigh being tough in the pocket?" Because that was something that Andrew Luck was so good was hanging in the pocket right. and waiting for guys to get downfield. Weigh that against taking all these hits because it's obviously having an effect on your career and. He, he really did not have an answer for it. He's like, that's a good question. But, and he like stumbled over his answer and didn't really come up with one. Maybe that's why he retired a couple years wow, later. Sick. Andrew Luck said, I had a good question, Rag. I, I inceptioned him. <laughs> Even out here trying to get, get credit for putting the kernel in Andrew Luck's head that maybe he shouldn't keep taking all these hits and move on with his life. I did not expect that. But there's one way to, there's one way to do that. Protect him from himself. And the coaching staff mm. could do that. And they just don't do it. They actually go, oh no, no Joe, actually we're going to put more on your plate. Like, survive and empty. And and the thing is, like, I get... Nah, I don't. I was going to say, like, I get why you let the pendulum swing all the other way and say, all right, if we have a bad offensive line, let's, like, spread it out. Burrow's going to be able to see which blitzer is coming, and then we trust our guy to win a one-on-one. And if he wins it, we can get an explosive. And if he doesn't win it, looks like Burrow's taking a sack. Like, that's where we have to live right now. I would say, like, I get that from a philosophy perspective, but if the cost is this many hits on a quarterback coming off a major right. knee injury... I'm less I'm less into it. But again, like this is this to me is larger Bengals talk and like why we've been frustrated with Zach Taylor all year. And I'm still there when I look and I I, when I try to answer the question of how do I beat the Chiefs team I just watched? How do I beat 42 points Chiefs? How do I beat touchdown, touchdown, touchdown drives all shorter than two minutes at the end of the game? Chiefs, I feel internally that I do it by scoring 50 points. And, and, and it'd be great if I could score those 50 points as slowly as possible. But when the Bengals, remember, the Bengals came out of the bye week and tried to be this, like, run-heavy team, right? Like, you know, 50% run, 50% pass, whatever. And it was disgusting. They can't, it's not, they don't have the guys for it. Like, Joe Mixon is, is, is a good runner. I don't think he's that caliber of a runner. And also, like, they have no passing game from under center. So they would get under center to run wide zone. And defenses would be like, okay. Like, we know... What you're doing, you don't have much out of this. And so to me, like, all right, if, if my goal is to be like, I need to be able to just outscore the Chiefs, I'm hucking and chucking. I am putting receivers on the field. I am three-step drop back, and we are throwing it up to Jamar Chase and T. Higgins. Hayden Wings of Underdog uh, Fantasy had a, had a nice note as well, where uh, he noted that for the Bengals receivers, when they're facing one high, Jamar Chase yards per route run is like through the moon. When they face two high, and you can get a shade to Jamar Chase, he and T. Higgins are like basically equal in terms of yards per route run. It's 2.1 to 2.0. You get, you know, you put Jamar on one side, put T on the other side, pick a matchup and chuck it. Like I would, I would not fault the Bengals if that's the approach because the they know so desperately how many points they need to score. Here's the beauty. You could throw a go route and still keep a back in protection. That doesn't limit your ability to do that. I don't think it's either or. And you ask, like, how do we win this game? I think you also have to ask, how do we lose this game? And it's by letting Chris Jones dominate you. And it's letting that pass rush dominate you. I think that that's how they almost lost last week's game, even though they were the better team throughout the 60 minutes. I know. I agree. I very much agree. I think that you... If you can, if you can stay with players in the core, right? You can leave Uzoma in the core, leave Mixon in, in to protect, and still get your one-on-one. Cool. If I'm Spags, and you're not stressing my linebackers and coverage at all with Uzoma and Mixon, that's great, right? Firstly, I don't want to deal with that because my linebackers do not exist in coverage; they're not real people. So, a that helped. B, I'm now gonna, uh, and, and like I'm very interested to see if Spags does this because 
he doesn't usually. But now I'm going to, as people said after the game, legitimately find a way to bracket Chase, right? Which in that week 17 game, I wasn't like, people were like, why aren't they doubling Jamar Chase? Like, well, this defense doesn't really have that kind of pitch in their usual structure. Preparing for the AFC Championship game after what Chase did to them, I think they'll have that. And if, if you're not punishing the middle of the field, when they're sending that safety over the top and they're putting like a cone on top of Chase, now all of a sudden you have to start getting the tight end in the concept, the running back in the concept to make the Chiefs defense pay for moving that safety over the top. You see what I'm saying? So it's kind of like a what do they give you on the first couple drives? What's the second counterpunch sort of a thing? No, I agree. I, I'm not advocating for them to just like live in six and seven man protections. I think you just have to mix it up more than they do. And they haven't mixed it up at all, all season long. Right. And I, I would say, like, for Spags, the concern is really how do you keep that flat defender out of conflict? That was, like, the theme of the game. That was, like, the major pattern on that side of the ball was the Bengals running out routes and sending the guy deep and sending the perimeter guy deep, and the Chiefs just had no answer for it. They tried to trap the flat, and Burrow just threw it over his head because Daniel Sorensen couldn't get out there. I think Sorensen has taken some heat, some unnecessary heat and unwarranted heat for that long chase touchdown. What, like, what did you want him to do there? To me, that looks just like a straight bust. Like, to me, that looks like somebody did not know the call. You know what I mean? Like, whether it was Sorensen or it was the, the corner who was trapping, wasn't supposed to trap or whatever. Like, that's just, to me, that looks like they were just in a bad geometry right. from the snap. I don't think that's what it is. I just think it's a bad coverage call against a better offensive call. Like, if you go to the snap before that, the drive before that, before the halftime, they run the same exact coverage and it plays out the same exact way. It's just a, a hard way based on how the Bengals had the receiver split, how uh, Boyd released on the route. He released outside and pulled that corner wide, which opened up the out route on the first play. They obviously overplayed that. And then the, the perimeter route was open. I just, I just don't, you just can't play that coverage. Stop. Don't play Paul. Right. Like if they're giving you a five yard out, you can trap it. If they're giving you, there's like a 10 yard out. It's really, really hard to, to, to trap that far exactly. back unless you know this the safety is flying over number one and somebody else is going to be responsible for number two, right? That slot receiver if he keeps going vertical, right? Like when when you like, you know, we're getting like way in the weeds here. But usually when you see that sort of a coverage, that's like a that's like a five yard alert. You know what I mean? Quick, they're trying yeah, to do quick it, out. Yeah, they're trying to do it like ten. That's really, really hard. It's even more difficult when your deep half safety is wearing forty nine and is Daniel Sorensen, you know, different conversation. Okay, that Bengals offense, Chiefs defense was very, very good. I want to make sure we, we have at least another moment here to uh, Chiefs offense, Bengals defense. That Bengals uh, uh, approach against the Titans was impressive. Like, this the, this defense, uh, it's funny. Like, I all week long, I've had conversations, you know, on different pods or different, you know, reading different articles where, like, people are positive the Bengals defense is inappropriately rated. They're either underrated or overrated. It's split 50-50. Nobody knows which direction it is, but people are positive that we don't know exactly how good they are, which is very funny to me. Regardless, I think they're well-coached. I think they have a lot of good players. I also think that they do not have the star talent necessary to beat the Chiefs. And that's this is, I think, going to be an example of, and you know, it, this is a good game to kind of compare to the defenses on the other conference, right? In the NFC conference, where you have these stars on defense. This is going to be a game that emphasizes that, like, yes, defense is very much a holistic unit. Yes, you have to have all 11 working well. You can't have a liability because offense will attack liabilities. But you also do need erasers. You do need, like, all right, we'll put this guy on that guy, and then we forget about it. And in my opinion, the Bengals don't have that, right? When they played in Week 17, they had big corner Trey Flowers play Travis Kelsey. Didn't go super great. 
They tried to, to to shade safeties to Tyreek Hill. They just hit him underneath. Like they don't really have erasers on, uh, in terms of their back seven. And to me, that puts them in a bad spot against Kansas City, who could just throw to their stars with impunity. Yeah, that's the thing. It's their back seven that doesn't have the stars. You look up front, it's a ton of stars, but the Chiefs offensive line also star league. And this time they don't have to play Joe Tooney at left tackle because Orlando Brown presumably will not injure himself in warm-ups. Joe Tooney did, you know, an, an admirable job. Yeah, did, like, hey, did play fine. tackle now. No sacks. <laughs> I feel like the Bengals, like how good are the Bengals defense conversation? We're like overcomplicating. There's like five elite defenses. There's like five terrible yeah. defenses. And every other defense is like in that middle class is the same. Like who cares? They're going up against Patrick Mahomes. It won't matter how good they are. The Bills defense didn't matter how it didn't matter how good it was. Steven with a strong PFF 2019 defense doesn't matter. Take very strong at late 2010s defense isn't real take. When you're playing Patrick Mahomes, no defense. Doesn't Usually matter, this is what I would do. They're like, all right, I tell you in the future, the Bengals win. How did it happen? But I really don't. I don't think the Bengals win. I think this has been a very nice season for Cincinnati. I think it's been a very impressive postseason run. I'm super in on the Bengals making this postseason run and using it as a springboard and getting more aggressive in free agency. Like, that's all awesome to me. Maybe they'll hire, like, a fifth scout for fun. You know what I mean? Get really frisky out here. Um, But in general, I think the AFC Championship game in Arrowhead is where it stops. And that's a very respectable run. And, and kudos to that young team for putting it together. I think Kansas City wins and wins fairly big. If the Bengals get six first downs via penalty and the Chiefs miss 20% of their tackles and Jamar Chase goes off for a, a billion yards and two touchdowns, I think the Bengals might have a chance like they did in Cincinnati when they won it right. on the last play of the game. If none of that stuff happens, like if one of those things doesn't happen, the Chiefs are going to blow them out at Arrowhead because that's that's what happens when a good team plays a worse team at home. Yeah, no, I've got the Chiefs too. Uh, I don't see a way, a pathway for the Bengals unless, again, they capitalize on Patrick Mahomes making two or three mistakes here and there. Other than that, the Chiefs, especially after last week, the way that they're rolling right now, they are in their peak form. It's going to be really impo- like tough. I won't say impossible because they got Joe Burrow but it's going to be real tough for Cincinnati to pull this one out. What I want more than anything is the Bengals to win so that the Jamar Chase takes can go just really outside of the world, right? If Chase another huge game and they win, we're going to get Jamar Chase greater than Randy Moss within five minutes of the game ending. And I cannot we wait. Are, didn't we get that last week or something? I think we got something close. We probably to did at this point. Nobody keeps their takes cashing at this point. Uh, that's Bengals Chiefs. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. From your morning podcast to your fantasy team, we know you personalize your entire day. That's why State Farm helps you personalize your insurance with State Farm Personal Price Plan. It offers coverage options that help protect what you care about most at an affordable price just for you. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices may vary by state. Options selected by customer availability and eligibility may vary. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like... Can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. We're moving forward. We go to the game that I'm so freaking excited for, which is Rams 49ers. The, the three match. Uh, uh, <laughs> Shanahan has beaten McVay in every single game they've played since 2018. The all Jimmy does is go to Super Bowls game. I'm so stinking happy that we got this matchup. This was the dream NFC matchup, in my opinion. I expect a very good game. I want to start 
uh, Rams offense against 49ers defense because I feel like when I look at this game like in a unit from unit perspective I understand how the Rams offense got here Stafford Odell Cup I understand how the Rams defense got here most of the Brandon Staley players Raheem Morris Donald Ramsey Uh, I understand even how the Niners offense got here too like Jimmy is weird like we didn't kind of expect that but this is Shanahan you know what I mean like they've unlocked Debo Kittle like I understand how that offense worked the fact that the Niners defense has not only like gotten here, but like by no means were they dragged here. By no means were they like a dead weight the Niners offense has pulled. They won that Packers game. They won that Packers game is stunning. Steven, uh, this is your unit. I know you wrote about Fred Warner. Uh, I feel like it is easy to miss why this Niners defense is working so well because it's not like a Brandon Staley thing where it's like, oh, college stuff. It's not like, like a Ravens thing. Where it's like, oh, they're blitzing like crazy. Like Todd Bowles, they blitz like nuts. What is What is this defense doing? Such that they have such great success here at the turn of the year. Their zone, I, their zone spacing, I guess is the right way to say it, is perfect. I'm, I'm not exaggerating. Like the way they cover routes in zone, it's like it plays out as man, even though they're not actually playing man. And I think it starts with Fred Warner, just because he's a guy that can take away three routes on one, on one route concept. And I think that's huge against a McVeigh offense because of how he tries to stress the linebackers and the middle of the field. And it just doesn't work against Fred Warner and the 49ers. Like, we've given a lot of credit to Shanahan for this six-game winning streak against the Rams. But the defense has done its its part, too. They're, the Rams are only averaging 20.2 points per game during the losing streak. That's and great. they've obviously had different defensive coordinators, but the common denominator is Fred Warner in the middle, not taking all that bait that McVay is going to set. He's not taking the traps. He can cover the first inbreaker, he can cover the second inbreaker, he can cover the check down. Like I don't know how you put him in the conflict and that's like what the offense is based around is putting linebackers into run pass conflict and even within a passing play like making him guard two routes at once and somehow Fred Warner can do it. There's a play and this is obviously an RPO, it's not a drop back passing play. From the first game though, the Rams have a basic RPO called inside zone paired with a, a bubble screen outside. Based on where, where Fred Warner is aligned, that's what that's uh, dictates what Stafford's going to do. If Fred Warner's in the box, he's going to throw the bubble screen. Fred Warner lined up in the box. So Matthew Stafford threw the bubble screen. Fred Warner hauled ass outside the numbers and caught Cooper Cup and tackled him for like a three-yard gain. RPOs work because they say a defender can't be in two places at once. Not Fred Warner, apparently. He could be in like five different places at once on every play. And I haven't even gotten into his like leadership ability and how he gets – every player in the right spot and how he communicates during plays which shows up on film like that's something you usually can't see on film but fred warner is so good at it and does it so much that it's all over his film like i i could have clipped at least 20 examples from the rams games alone of fred warner just getting everyone in the right spot he's an amazing player he's the best i think he's the best linebacker in the nfl right now and i don't even think it's close remember when he got extended and it was like oh but it's money to a linebacker right right the thing about foundational players the thing about cornerstone players is like i don't want to go so far as to say that the position they play doesn't matter but to a degree it doesn't because whatever they do so well like when you have a player who just doesn't do anything wrong just whatever you ask him to do he's right all of the time it lets you build the system around that tent pole and you can end up making an offense or a defense that's really hard to answer like quarterbacks are the easy example lamar 
Like, the, you can't build a Lamar offense for anybody else. The Niners are like, oh, they're running zone. Like, they run, like, match quarters, and they run, like, match cover three. And, like, other teams do that. But not the way the Niners do, because other teams don't have a Fred Warner. Like, he's the tentpole. The reason this is built that way is because of that player. Not because, like, oh, that's what D'Amico Ryans runs. No, it's like, all right, we have him. So we can do X, Y, and Z, and nobody else gets to do this as well as we're doing it, as consistently as we're doing it, because we have him. Oh, and also... It works that we have these two combo safeties in Jaquise Guitar and, and Jimmy Ward. Oh, and also it helps protect our quarters, which is our bad position. Like, that's how they got here, like, this far. Like, it all works in concert. As opposed to, like, you know, you know, like, okay, like, let's say, like, Darius Leonard is a foundational piece. I'm not sold that he is. Like, I'm kind of, like, all over the place on Leonard. But if he is, like, the Colts didn't get here because it's not as as cohesive. It's not as unified. And that's a credit, I think, to D'Amico Ryans, who's done a really nice job, like, building all 11 together and, like, building a whole system together. But Fred Warner is the tentpole. And, like, a guy like Warner... To me, a guy like 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 Quentin Nelson, you know what I mean? Like Nelson, like fundamentally changes the way the Colts run the football because of what he's capable of doing. So when you have these like legitimate cornerstone pieces, it doesn't matter if they play linebacker. Just keep him in the building. Just and and keep him there for as long as you can because it lets you do things that other people don't get to do. If you look back at the the great defenses from modern history, they all play oh, wow. a lot of zone, and they all have. Two, they used to have two linebackers that were just freaks. Like, you go back to the Bucks, they had Derek Brooks, who's a Hall of Famer. They had Hardy Nickerson, who was a great player. You go to the the Bears, they had Brian Urlacher. They had Lance Briggs. You go to the Seahawks, they had K.J. Wright. They had Bobby Wagner. The 49ers of that era, they had Navarro Bowman and Patrick Willis. The Panthers had Luke Keekley and Thomas Davis. Guess what? Fred Warner is both of those linebackers rolled into one. Like, he covers the same amount of ground. It, it, it's amazing. I've never seen a player... Who he's the Justin Herbert of linebackers. He's the Justin Herbert of linebackers, and that Steven loves him. That's how that <laughs> metaphor works. And his eyes are always in the right spot, and they're always perfect. Like you can call beaters for the coverages they're playing, and they don't play a lot of coverages. Like there's variations of them, but they're playing cover three and they're playing quarters like 80% of the game. And you can call beaters. It doesn't matter because Fred Warner's gonna cover like both of the routes. Like if you watch the first Rams game, or even both of the Rams game, it's like the Rams have a good call on. But Fred Warner gloves up everything and Stafford's like, what the fuck? This isn't how it's supposed to work. I'm just going to toss it up. Yeah. And then he gets picked like that was a common theme on all the picks. Yeah. And I don't know. I don't know. I want to pick the Rams so much because of the talent disparity. But the coaching on both sides of the ball is just immaculate. And Fred Warner, I think he's able. He's like a, a one man wrecking crew for that offense and what McVay does. No, he's the epitome of a modern linebacker. Like that's what you would dream of. You know, if you were get these defensive coordinators, especially going up the, against these modern offenses, which are so pass heavy, you want someone like Fred Warner who's able to be in two places like and at once. And it's why the position is so devalued. Not to get further into the weeds about Fred Warner, but yeah, he's the reason why that defense is working so in sync. And I think your guys' guy. Uh, Seth Galina from Pro Football Focus wrote about it this week. He does everything for them. That idea of him as like a, a three-route player, right? Where it's like, all right, so they're going to run this, that, and, the, and then the check down. And we'll just have Fred go one to two to three. <laughs> like, that's just not – that's not fair. They just – it skews the math so much. I, li- I, I like that image a lot. Uh, all right, so they go up against, right, that Rams offense, which – I want to uh, uh, bounce this one off of you guys because I'm I'm very worried about our boy Sean here, uh, good old Sean McVay, who just simply loves to build leads and then run the football. And it made a lot of sense, man, when Jared Goff was his quarterback. And now it's Matt Stafford, and it's starting to freak me out. Uh, this is from Fabian Summer. Uh, he has, over the last three weeks, so since Cam Akers has been healthy and has been active, uh, on his runs, fumbles excluded, uh, 
80 times on first and second down against the Niners, the Cardinals, and the Buccaneers. Negative 0.28 EPA per rush, 2.9 yards per carry, 23.8 success rate. So the Rams have recently done this whole, like, we're going to run the ball more on early downs thing. Cam Akers is back. I'm not, I'm not really sure it's to their benefit, number one. Number two, you got to choose to throw the ball against the Niners. We just talked about how hard it is, but you have to. And that's because for as difficult as it is to throw it, it is equally, if not more difficult, to run it. And the the explosive value, the potential for the bust, the potential for the, the big gain and the pass is so much greater than it is in the running game. I'm very concerned that either A, McVay comes out and runs the ball early, or B, McVay gets the lead he did. They were up 17 to nothing at halftime against these Niners in week 18. They could have knocked them out of the playoffs with a three-possession lead. And then they started to run the ball a little bit there in the third quarter, fourth quarter, and try to sit on things a little bit. And they gave the Niners a couple extra possessions, and lo and behold, guess who's in the NFC Championship game three weeks later? The San Francisco 49ers. And so I'm hoping we see a little bit of that which we saw in the middle of the season, which at times got criticized, but largely is okay. And this was the beginning of the season too, which is just sit and drop back, spread it out, and let Stafford throw it and win this game because your quarterback is better than their quarterback. This is why you got Stafford. Because this is a team that's going to take away the middle of the field. They're going to play zone coverage. Like your play action concepts and your your concepts that attack the middle of the field aren't necessarily going to be effective. So you're going to need a quarterback to make a throw that other quarterbacks can't make. Goff wasn't that quarterback. Stafford has that in him. It's whether he can make the throws or not, which is 50-50. That would suck for McVay because could you imagine being 17-0 at halftime in week 18? And then either McVay's high, like foresight is amazing because he saw, oh, if the Niners win this game, I will get to play the Niners in the NFC Championship and beat Set them. up the pins and then knock them down. <laughs> exactly. Or or you're like, you were two quarters away from beating this team that is going to beat you in the NFC Championship game and prevent you from making the Super Bowl. Like that, I, I feel a lot, I feel bad for McVay because even yesterday, like he got asked by someone if he's, if Kyle Shanahan is in his head and that's a dumbass question to begin with. But, you got it, it's you gotta ask it. Someone's got to ask it. <laughs> Is he? Because, like, they've, he's won the last six games, okay? That's that's one thing. Like, we're going to all see that stat. I love that stat. Whatever. You go and you look at those games. Every time the Rams got the Niners offense, every time they slowed him down, Goff was dreadful. <laughs> and every time Goff slash Stafford was good enough that they should have won, the Niners offense was just a little bit better. It has got to piss him off because it's not like they're losing in the same way every single time. There's been three different defensive coordinators. Right. There's been two different quarterbacks for the Rams. There's been two different quarterbacks for the Niners with, with Garoppolo and Mullins. I think even Beathard played in one of these games. And still, always something happens. Yep. So you do have to feel a little bit cursed. This episode is brought to you by UGG. Y'all know UGG is a brand that athletes wear all the time in the tunnel and on travel days. Well, I bet you think Ugg season is only during the colder months of the year. Oh, contraire. You're wrong. You need to check out the latest spring drop from Ugg. They have everything from sandals to clogs. I like the sandals. Ugg has you covered for your next spring adventure. Shop the golden collection at Ugg.com. This episode is brought to you by Lincoln and the all-new 2024 Nautilus Hybrid featuring a customizable 48-inch panoramic display, available Revel audio system, and available perfect position front seats with active motion massage. Oh my God. The world isn't wide enough. Visit lincoln.com to learn more. Some models, trims, and features may not be available or may be subject to change. Check with your local retailer for current information. Lincoln and Nautilus are trademarks of Ford 
or its affiliates. Let's talk about Shanahan, though, 6-0 against McVay. Maybe it's like the football guy in me, right? And like, you know, whatever, like this is how the game should be played. But to, the fact that we have out here in the AFC Championship game, you know, spread versus spread, we have the Rams, like modern 11 personnel, running game, whatever. And then we just have the Niners with freaking two tight ends and a fullback and Debo Samuel in the backfield. Just finding ways to run the ball against anybody and everybody is, to me, fascinating. Now, uh... Of the games the Niners have played this year, two of their three most run-heavy games on neutral scripts were the games against the Rams. In Week 10, they were .18, 18% neutral pass rate. League average is like 52%. And then against the Rams in Week 18, they were 27%. So they have been extremely run-heavy against this team, Raheem Morris, both times they played them. The first time it worked tremendously. The second time, it didn't work as well. Uh, they, they had a much more difficult time moving the ball early on the ground. That's why they fell into that deficit. They had to throw their way back into the game in the in the second half. So, Kalen, uh, this side of the ball was you, San Francisco offense against the Rams defense. A, do we expect continued run heaviness? B, do we expect running game success when the Niners choose to run it? Yes and yes. I don't think the Rams, when you look at their linebacking core right now, you know, you're trying to get them in the conflict if you're Kyle Shanahan. And I think the way that you kind of neutral, we've seen them neutralize Aaron Donald in a sense is by, you know, getting into that wide zone, running away from him, getting out like on perimeter runs. And I think like when you're asking those second and third level defenders to, you know, make tackles against Elijah Mitchell and Trey Sermon, whoever they've had in the backfield in the previous matchups, it's been really difficult for them. And Granted, you know, they've been able to get into their play action game off that and incorporate now Debo Samuel within the run game. I, I think you're just asking a, too much for the Rams defense, um, at least up front. Maybe they can switch things up going into this matchup, but I, I don't see how they aren't pushed off the ball, you know, considering who they have up front. Yeah, it's funny because the Packers, Joe Barry, and then the Rams, Raheem Morris, but he's also like running the Brandon Staley defense. Right, it's like they'll they'll put similar fronts out there, but the problem is that like the outside linebackers who are gonna like set that hard edge on this defense. You play with a five down front, you have two outside linebackers. For the Packers, that's like Rashawn Gary, Preston Smith, Zadarius Smith. Those are mean, big sons of guns. Those are big physical yeah. dudes. With the Rams, it is Leonard Floyd and Von Miller, who are good run defenders in their own right. Lighter. They just don't play that. Right. Way. They slice. They slip. They move around. They slink. They try to cut. They try to get you know penetration. And when you can get a thick double team with George Kittle and Kyle Juszczyk on one of these guys, you can move them off the ball. So I very much agree. I think it continues to be an early uh, run game, and I think they're going to be able to find success running the football. If not, and if if when they have to throw it, we get into the exact same conversation we've had in each of the last three weeks. How good is Jimmy health-wise? Presumably a little bit better, right? He's healing. When does the bad interception come and how uh, damaging is it? The one thing I do want to bring up that I think is interesting, especially Steven kind of comparing how the Niners defense takes away the middle of the field to how the Rams try to do it, is that Matt Bowen from ESPN had uh, in the two games played versus the Rams this year, Garoppolo is 30 for 36 on throws inside of the numbers against the Rams. This interior of the defense, I feel like for Los Angeles, is exploitable. And if there is one area of the field, and there is only one area of the field to which Jimmy Garoppolo can throw the football, it's that middle of the field. And so, like, even if the running game does get taken away, even if Morris has some answers here on the third time, I'm not sure the Niners can't just get into their play action game. Shanahan is so good at getting those end breakers to open up, whether it's running two through, running crossers, whatever it is. 
and then have Garoppolo just work the middle of the field. I think you feel confident that the way you want to run your passing offense works against this defense. Yeah, I think this is a game where they really miss John Johnson and having him, having his presence in the middle of the field and cutting crossers and dropping into the box and defending the run because you need some help for those linebackers. What Everything I said about Fred Warner, it's like the opposite for the Rams linebackers. Like they might as well not be out there. <laughs> and I, I don't know. I just can't see how this Rams defense has any success. If Brandon Staley and John Johnson and everybody they had last year couldn't stop this offense, and I think they had a backup in one of the games, like I, how does it work now that you have a worse interior defense, a, a core of the defense, and the right. 49ers are playing much better football. I, I, I don't see it. And now you have to deal with this Debo Samuel problem. I know, like, the first time they really used him as a runner was that – I think it was the second game they played the Rams last year. The second, yeah. Yep. But now, like, the package has been expanded and built on. And, like, if you give Shanahan a year to build on a package, it's going to be a, a problem. And he probably has some tricks that he's saving, particularly for this matchup. I think we're going to see, like, a Debo Samuel to Brandon Ayuk reverse that's going to go for, like, 80 yards. You know what I mean? Like, I just keep looking, like, how many snaps they have Ayuk playing. He's playing on the outside. And I keep thinking about how fast that dude is and how good he is with the ball in his hands. He was such a good returner at Arizona State. Forks up, Kalen. And forks I just up. keep thinking to myself, like, Oh, I'm waiting for this change up to come. I, you got to feel it. And that's the thing is, Shanahan, there is nobody better in the league, in my opinion, at scripting it out and figuring out where you want to go, right? The whole Shanahan scope, like figuring out where you're weak and hitting it. He's been so good for so long on the back half of seasons, getting that ball rolling and figuring out what his offense needs. Better than McVay, who struggled with that in the back half of seasons. You're telling me he gets to face a defense for the third time in a row? And he's beaten them twice. And it was in two very different ways that he beat them. First game was all early down runs, was all control the clock. Second game, they threw their way back into it, working the middle of the field. You're telling me he gets this defense a third time? His offense is pretty much healthier than it has been, Trent Williams notwithstanding. I am picking the Niners for this game. And it's because of the faith I have in him and D'Amico Ryans. I think that if you give them an opponent for the third time, I expect them to beat that opponent. I really don't care who that opponent is or what they're doing. And I know McVay and I know Raheem Morris are good coaches. I just think that there's there is there is no one in the league I trust more facing a team on repeat and figuring out how to get to his tendencies, get to his tendency breakers and attack your tendencies than Shanahan is. It's just what he has built his house on. And the fact that this is a, a three match, I know like there's that whole like, oh, it's hard to beat a team three times in, the, in a season. Over history, it's like 500. Like, it's it's a game. You know what I mean? It doesn't actually have have, have that much merit. Uh, I think that the Niners have too much firepower and too much of an advantage here, having been so familiar with the Rams. I think they win it, and I think Jimmy goes to his second Super Bowl, baby. Damn. I, I don't know, man. Again, rightfully, like you're saying, this is the third time that Shanahan and his coaching staff and that team get the face of Rams team that, let's be real, like when you compare experience, like the Niners – They've gotten there more recently than the Rams. I know that the Rams made a Super Bowl not too long ago, but Ross is completely different. And we've seen McVay and, honestly, Matthew Stafford come up short in big games. But that being said, Stafford's been pretty good this postseason. And in that that second contest, like, I know the – I don't know if we even count, like, the overtime interception. That was just kind of a YOLO ball. But, you know, I, I think as long as he plays clean football, I think the Rams are too talented offensively. And I think – you get a mistake from Jimmy G that is probably more costly than, you know, the red zone pick that he threw last week against the Packers. So I'm taking the Rams. That's a seven point pick more costly than that. Uh, maybe I guess you throw a pick six. That's very possible. I'm going with the Rams too. I know Ben, Ben and his anti McVay propaganda from the team <laughs> that Joe Thomas retweeted. 
and compliment it. You should all read it. But no, when I watched the film of the second game, I watched both games this this past week. You could see McVay start to figure things out in the first half. It, it didn't go so well in the second half, but he started to figure out how to attack this defense. And I think in the third game, he's going to have a lot more prepared. I don't think Stafford is going to play as poorly as he did down the stretch in that game. Jimmy G is going to throw a ball to the Rams defense, and I think they're going to catch it. <laughs> and I fully believe in Raheem Morris switching things up. I think he's going to force Jimmy to beat him. I think he's going to be more aggressive. If I'm Raheem Morris, I'm taking that the Titans game plan for the Ravens, like have the safeties play within like six yards of the box. I'm just blitz like yeah. a psycho. And dare Jimmy to throw it over my head. If he makes enough of those throws, like I don't think he's going to score 30 points doing that. So that's yeah, okay, that, that would okay. be my tactic. We're going too long, and we did this with the Bengals where we just bickered about the key points of a game plan. But if you do that, Shanahan's putting Debo in the backfield, so you're keeping Ramsey in the core of the formation, and then it's Ayuk versus Darius Williams. You don't like that matchup? I love that matchup. I, li- I like it because Jimmy G can't throw outside the right. numbers. It's Jimmy G plus Ayuk yeah. versus Williams. Over the middle of the field, if it's Kittle over the middle of the field, then I'm nervous. But outside the numbers? Listen, this will be the best game Jimmy plays in the postseason. I can guarantee that. Mostly because the first high bar, high bar, you're saying. <laughs> but he's getting healthier. It's gonna be warm. It's gonna be fine. Listen, our Niners, baby. I picked the Rams to make the Super Bowl last week. I have to pick them to, to win this week. There you go. There you go. I have one last thing to say, and it's gonna upset uh, Stephen because it's a horrible joke. And then we're gonna go and toss it to the end of the show. Jimmy Garoppolo. More like Jimmy goes to the Super Buffalo. Thank you for listening to the Ringer Friday show. This was Conference Championship Preview. Steven has walked off the screen. Yeah, he walked uh, away. <laughs> we all thank you very much for listening. Uh, this is our last week of kind of like regular, you know, weekly games. Obviously, it's a two-week break um, between Conference Championship week and then subsequently the Super Bowl week. And so we'll have a slightly a different, a different schedule. We will be off for Friday next week. We won't really be previewing uh, the Pro Bowl. They asked me if I wanted to give any give me a reasons for the Pro Bowl, and I said absolutely not. I have no reasons. Uh, and so we will be back two weeks previewing the Super Bowl as per usual. You can, of course, find the rest of the Ringer NFL hosts, Kevin Clark, Nora Princiati, Mallory Rubin, all throughout the week as we prep you for the Super Bowl. Thank you, as always, for our man behind the curtain. That's Chris Sutton for his production help and his man behind the curtain, Arjuna Ramkapol, for additional production supervision. Enjoy Conference Championship weekend. We will talk to you guys pre-Super Bowl. <laughs>